0: So seeing all these guys in hiker boots and nightg- and ladies nightgowns just proudly walking, getting sprayed with water guns and just living their best lives was just this incredible moment that I got to have on trail watching how people can break down their norms and embrace it and just have fun with it.
1: Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, messy conversations with messy people, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are also interested. So welcome fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend, Sonic. I am so glad I got to interview Sonic for this episode. Although we've only met a couple of times, each time has been joyous and full of deep conversation. Sonic talks about hiking the Appalachian Trail, caring for himself and his community, and learning to stop caring about how other people perceive you. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly. They are people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear and some grace. All right, here is my interview with Sonic.
0: I really love the textures, the layer layering. I really wish your your listeners could see you because you're on point for a podcaster in fall looking the way you do you look fantastic <laughs> and it makes me very happy as soon as you open that door i went fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're you're making me want to bring back bow tie fridays by the way because ah, on the yes. east coast of uh, going to a small liberal arts college which was very preppy i i wore we wore bow ties every friday and so continuously yeah. even when i moved to the west coast I always, every Friday would wear a bow tie and everybody loved it because for most people, Fridays are casual Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. So to have someone wear a bow tie and consider that casual, you look different and engages people in conversation. They look at you differently. So seeing you here in a bow tie, a well-tied bow tie with the layers and textures, I just need a pumpkin spice latte, which I don't really like, but it's the season, (laughs) I think. So...
1: Mm, Well... We're just going to talk about fall forever if I don't, if I don't (laughs) intervene with (laughs) the lining Um, of
0: questions why we're here today.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: But,
1: uh, yeah. Hello. It's good to have you here. Um, and my first question as always is how do you and I know each other?
0: Well, we met actually just over a year ago thinking about this because I had just returned to this town in November of last year after a cross country train ride after completing the Appalachian Trail. Mm. and our dear connector, Hoblet introduced us. They were a part of my trail family and they they had arrived back here I think a few weeks before I had because um, I had seen them in Boston, Chicago, as, as we both made our ways off of the trail and back, back west. And they said, you know what? You should meet my friends. <laughs> um, and on Sunday night, you ho- hosted a, di- a dinner at the time. I'm not sure yeah. if you continue to. Yeah. Um, but I was invited to a Sunday dinner where Hoblet, being the awesome connector they are with people who enjoy good conversation, connected us, introduced me as a trail family member they had met on the trail. And so we had dinner, we were all talking, and it clicked. Wouldn't you know? And here we are.
1: Yeah, I, I remember it was interesting because the Sunday night dinner is predominantly people that my partner and I know through uh, a church that I used to attend, um, he still attends, and um, and we do still do that group, even though, like, a number of us are, like, in different churches and things like that. Um, and it's just a wonderful time to hang out, chat with people, have great conversations. And I know Hoblet, I think, was sort of wanting a – I mean, Hoblet's had issues with, like, uh, organized religion. Mm-hmm. And so having someone – with them that was not a church person i think was deeply comforting oh, to for them sure. yeah and, and i was just glad that you like came because i was like you know if i wasn't connected to churches i'm not sure i would <laughs> join like people at like a church gathering so i mean it's, it's not technically a church gathering but Essentially,
0: And to your point, Hobbit did describe it that way when they were explaining to me, it's a church group, but also not. It's more people who enjoy good conversation. And after all, we had just gone through this epic journey together, and it was a good way for us yeah. to connect. And the one thing that Hobbit prizes, one of the many reasons why I love them, they love connecting people who like to have good conversations. Yes. And they prize that significantly in their social network. Yeah. So the they took the bet that... <laughs> we could all meet and get along and wouldn't you know.
1: Yeah, and the you know, we've only interacted a couple of times since then, just twice, I think.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's been it's unreal that a year can go by so quickly.
1: Yeah, cuz but like each time was just very rich and and wonderful cuz the the second time we met was mm-hmm. <laughs> was was in spring, right? It was in spring going to um, see the cherry blossoms. Yes. And it was beautiful and I I enjoyed chatting, not not just with you, but mostly it was you and me chatting a lot. <laughs> um, and then the next time was when because my partner and I joined Hobblet on a, you know, they've been doing another trail this year, and so we joined for a couple of days. Um, and, but we realized that we had forgotten to bring like the important items with us for Hoblet. And so you and I ended up then driving up to a location where they were at
0: trail magic 2.0 <laughs> Ma- and,
1: and we are going to explain what all these things mean. Yes. Um, when we get deeper into the conversation, because listeners are going to be like, what the fuck is all of this? What's a trail family? What's, what's trail magic? Um, totally. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll explain these things, but, uh, and you and I were just in a car for, I don't even know how long we were in the car for. It was not, it was wonderful, whatever it was.
0: It was about it so from where we met them on the trail, it's about an hour and a half from where we are. Okay. Now. So one of my favorite things, and one of the reasons why I knew we had a connection is because in car rides like that, that we can talk mm-hmm. and we start our journey and we don't even realize we get there. Yes. And... We're still sitting in the car talking or we're at a traffic light and oh, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> Great sign, right? Because yes. we, we we covered a bazillion topics. It was wonderful. In the best way.
1: Yeah. And I, I love that. I find it, you know, speaking of magic, I just find it a magical thing when you just start chatting with someone and it, it you know, it, it has a life of its own. Um, it actually reminds me of someone else I met in the last year that I'm like, oh, I need to meet up. With her again because it was the same thing mm. of immediate connection and just depth and you know so i i love i love that but yeah moving into the second thing yeah i always ask people to introduce themselves sure. um so yeah could you do that what what is important to you for for other people to know what do you think is the are the most important aspects of who you are
0: Sure. Um, should I say my name as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How oh, should yes. How should I... Because we talked about this briefly in the introductory, so... Or per the warm-up. How do we want to introduce me?
1: <laughs> um, uh, why don't you give both your names?
0: Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Brian, but I will also go by in this interview, Sonic Boom. And that's, in fact, how you were introduced to me the yes. first time because when we met I'd only been off trail for a month mm-hmm. and so the name sticks and yeah. during that journey you just become so you step out of yourself into your trail name right because i i it's amazing to watch that evolution of your personhood go that way with your identity so sonic boom or sonic as people call me for short Mm -hmm. including hoblet still refers to me just like i lovingly refer to hoblet as hoblet even off the trail over a year later now um i am somebody who loves living in an urban area with uh the 15 minute walking scenario of being Mm -hmm. able to go to a grocery store a park or a restaurant nearby um i'm i'm an enthusiastic technologist for my nine to five um, I'm a genuinely curious person mm-hmm. in that I enjoy asking questions and digging into several layers of why or how or when or what, and I enjoy small group conversations where I can have quality time mm-hmm. with people because I find with larger groups that it's very difficult to make that quality time work well without the you know yeah. five basic questions and then you kind of move on transactionally to the next person. So that really describes me as a person.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, as I, you know, because always before these interviews, I I scribble down some notes for myself just to remind myself, okay, who is this person? What do I know about this person? And that word curiosity, you are a very curious person. And it's probably one of the things I I love the most about people and what I seek for. Um, I also think of myself as a very curious person. And Yeah, it's just, I think it's one of my dad's most positive attributes is that he is incredibly curious. Mm. And so I think I grew up uh, with a lot of curiosity. Um, So yeah, it's something I I deeply value. Uh, I think also I just find it interesting. What was the word you used? Technologist? Mm -hmm. Because I know you work in sales. Yes. 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 Um, which I'll admit, honestly, when I hear that someone works in that, that's not usually a sign that I'm going to like that person.
0: (laughs) I actually get that a lot. I'm sure you do. As soon as you say you were a salesperson in technology, or as I like to blend the words a technologist, I understand the technology deeply to a three or 400 level. That's, that's where that curiosity comes in. Yeah. However, technology at the end of the day serves a purpose, right? It's intended mm. to be used by people to solve problems. Mm. Part of the challenge though, just like I like to talk about things to parallel, you can learn Spanish well enough to order tacos off of a menu. Right? Yeah. And that's how most people get technology is functionally. I do this to get this. Yeah. Most people don't study Spanish to understand Miguel Cervantes, right? Or, you know, the the writings the writings in the art of Goya, right? To get mm. into those deeper pieces of what A language can really do for a culture right yeah or why it serves that purpose so I like being that jumping point between oh you just need to order tacos great let's work with you on that and connect those dots but if you're somebody who's genuinely interested in the deeper pieces of what makes something work let's go on a journey together let's get into it and why Mm -hmm. you want to find this out and if I don't know one of my favorite things to do is to go find out so Mm. being able to engage with people in technology and bring those things together is one of my favorite things to do. And it keeps me in my job for that reason. Hmm. And that's that's the way I look at sales. Yeah. Differently. Because to your point, as soon as you say that that word, sales, the eyes glaze over or they think of used car salesmen and bad suits. That manipulation. Sort of, thank you. Yes. Very manipulative mindset. And I will say the best salespeople, you don't even realize they're salespeople.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So my partner also works in the world of technology, and you know something that is true of him is that he he likes to engage with people. He is pretty social, and that is not something that tech people are known for. Uh, They are known for the opposite, in fact. And so. so I think. Yeah, I just, I think it's always interesting to me when I meet people who don't fit what you would naturally think of when you think, oh, I am talking to, you know, a tech person. They're going to be incredibly awkward and and not know how to deal with social uh, engagements, which... By the way, I love those people. Like <laughs> you those do. I meet them in my life as well. <laughs> I'm friends with, with many of them because I like social awkwardness, you know, is my jam. But I, I always love it when when you figure out, oh, this person there's more than meets the eye. Um, which is usually true of most people once you actually talk to them more. But sometimes it's more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're one of those people where it's more obvious of like Hmm, you know, I wouldn't expect this of a salesperson or a tech person or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, maybe this is the right time to explain what the thru-hiker sort of, like, Trail name, trail family, trail magic. What is all this stuff?
0: Quick crash course on those things. Yeah. Sure. So to I'll start at the high level with what the Appalachian Trail is for those who don't know yeah. so they can understand what this thing is. Yep. And so the Appalachian Trail, and it is Appalachia is how it's pronounced. Some people say Appalachian, and that's yeah. a great discerner to tell if you're not from the area. So Appalachian Trail is a... 2,190-ish mile long trail that snakes from Georgia to Maine on the East Coast. It is the first through hiking trail ever created. So it's the original one created in the 1930s um, off of an idea of a gentleman who uh, went to Harvard, wrote a white paper about connecting communities in rural areas together through a trail. Mm -hmm. And Congress eventually adopted it and helped fund during the 1930s through the CCC Um, A trail that connected these small rural communities from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And so it is the first trail of its kind. And it's maintained locally by individual chapters is how it works through an organization called the ATC Hmm. um, or the Appalachian Trail Club. Uh, Yeah, ATC. And they all maintain the trail as a community. And you can, uh, depending on your desire, you can do a thru-hike either northbound from Georgia to Maine or Nobo or southbound, Sobo, from Maine to Georgia. And you can either conduct it as a through hiker, which is somebody who does the entire trail in one fell swoop, or you can do become what's called a section hiker, where over your lifetime you go and complete sections of the trail yeah. in a planned way. Or you can do what we also call a lasher, which is a long-ass section hiker, <laughs> for people who kind of are just winging it a little bit and going as long as they want until they decide to stop. And so what I did last year in 2022 is I left my job rather Mm -hmm. abruptly. We can get into that a little bit. And I decided to through hike the Appalachian Trail. I had actually been planning for some time to do an epic through hike because the financial planning, the different pieces behind it. um, I wanted to ensure that I could take the break I wanted to go do a through hike because for me, um, I'm now 35. And um, at the time, I was 34 in 2022. I, for me, five and zero birthdays are the big ones to do reflection think about things in your life. Mm. And so I decided I've always wanted to do a through hike because I I really love hiking. I was a weekend warrior here in the Northwest during the pandemic where the only time I got outdoors was hiking. And I figured, let's try this. Let's go do this. And so as you go and you hike um, over maybe becoming a through hiker you earn a trail name on trail. There's no right or wrong way to earn a trail name. Some people come with trail names. They already kind of have defined themselves with mm-hmm. a trail name. Um, but the typical way to do it is to earn one on trail and be given one usually in your community that you make on trail. People use it, either pick up on a trait about you or there's something that you like about the trail and you choose that name like a bird or you know yeah. a tree or a walking style. People pick up little things on you or you pick up things on yourself when you're on trail. Yeah. And I received Sonic Boom. To get into my my trail name on day four of the trail in Georgia. That's early. It is rather early. Um, so I was very lucky and fortunate that what was happening was a unique scenario where, as I'm hiking north in Georgia, there's a gentleman who I recognized pretty quickly. He was hiking southbound, mm-hmm. and that's rather strange when everybody's heading north. But you see this guy heading south, so he stopped the first day, and we were just chit chatting. He was critiquing my backpack, how I was walking, doing these little things, mm-hmm. and just being helpful. Um, And as we got to know each other, because I saw him a second day coming southbound and then a third day and then a fourth day, we really built a rapport with each other because we would see each other at roughly the same time every morning between 10 and 11 o'clock. And, and so it became a really interesting recurring experience. And I learned through those intermittent meetings of, you know, five or 10 minutes you are taking a break whenever we would meet that he was a thru hiker in 2017 or 18. His trail name was light as green and he was hiking southbound. And the reason why I kept seeing him and making yeah. sure I wasn't, you know, in a time warp somewhere or a ground. I was very
1: confused yes. about how you would <laughs> keep bumping into someone who's southbound.
0: Yes. He was supporting a Uh, a friend who was having a rough go of the first Mm -hmm. couple of days on trail. And so because he had done the trail, he's an enthusiastic hiker. He's based in Chicago, can get anywhere. He would uh, support the friend by meeting them on trail, resupply them, make sure they're doing okay, provide support and comfort to this person. And I happened to run into him shortly after every time he would see them. So he would be in the zone of let's help out people on trail. And so on the last day, as I got to know him, his trail name is Light as Green. He he said, well, this is the last time I'll see you. I'm getting off trail because I've now helped my friend as much as I can. Do you have a trail name? And I said, no. There was a brief pause. He looked me up and down and said, Sonic Boom. I let out a yippee. I got a trail name. Heck yeah. How did you come up with that? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, a couple of things. One, you are wearing a bright blue shirt. And at the time I was wearing a very bright blue hiking shirt, like a workout yeah. shirt. And he said the blue reminded him of Sonic the Hedgehog. And so that's where that comes from. Mm. To tie it in, though, uh, Sonic is from a Pacific Northwest city. And I'm also living in that city. And he got to know that about me. So there is that Mm tie-in as well. And the boom, though, came from the fact that when we would see each other after day one, we kept saying, oh, boom, you again. So Sonic,
1: Boom. boom. I love that. I love the trail name thing. Um and i i love it um we'll we'll get more into that the last ter- mm-hmm. the last term that i want to ask you about is what is trail magic
0: yes thank you for bringing that up because you got to provide trail magic yourself yes. which is pretty cool actually twice here. actually twice oh you're right yeah
1: yes yeah
0: <laughs> so trail magic is a unique cultural phenomenon to through hiking um most through hiking trails have some form of this that When you're out there, you're really truly in the middle of nowhere for several days on end, right? Uh, When you're hiking through the national forests, national parks, up and down these mountains, or whatever trail you're doing across the country. And the really cool thing is that it really, builds a community by default of people who kind of know about it yeah. including the people who support it whether you're somebody who lives in a small town near the trail and you just want to give and give love and support we call that trail magic and it could be everything from a bucket of cold water near a trailhead in mm-hmm. a parking lot to rides to town to a buffet smorgasbord at mm-hmm. a at a trailhead To just uh, somebody stopping by and saying, hey, you're doing a great job. I see you for for what you're doing, and I think what you're doing is incredible. And Trail Magic is provided by Trail Angels. So you'll hear people refer to any kindness given by strangers as Trail Mm -hmm. Magic. And... The people who give it trail angels. And for me on the trail, it varied for everything from getting a random $20 from a woman in a fancy Subaru in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, to, as I mentioned, uh, a smorgasbord meal provided by a local church that just loved supporting. They came from... Two hours away to do trail magic in the particular area they provide trail magic. Yeah. Um, and not even making a, a religious element or even sort of any sort of, you know, push for, hey, you should come join our church or love Jesus or things like yeah. that. No, we just want to provide love to through hikers because yeah. we love the journey that you're on. And so it can really vary wildly. But you learn to deeply appreciate very quickly trail magic. And this year after I, I finished the AT, I went back and provided trail magic myself. And I'll tell you now how enthralling it yes. is to do. It is very validating to give free yeah. food and comfort to, um, to true strangers just who are through hiking, going on the same journey you're going on. It's a pretty cool feeling.
1: Yeah. I, the, the first time that we, you know, my partner and I did that was when we were, you know, joining Hoblet for, for a couple days and the, you know, when we arrived, Hoblet specifically asked me to bring salad because I make, I make a damn good salad. Um, very, very fresh. There's lettuce. There's really good tomatoes. There's cucumbers, uh, avocado, and like oh, yeah. apple cider vinegar, like uh, vinaigrette. Um,
0: I know you can't see, but my jaw, jaw dropped because my little hiker hat on with what you're describing,
1: uh, fresh
0: vegetables are the best yes. on trail. So if you bring, if you decide to do trail magic, bringing fresh vegetables and fruits, especially in a salad format, yeah. we'll love you forever. Because it's one of the things you do not get on trail regularly are fresh, yes. delicious vegetables and fruits. So, oh my goodness. Uh, Thank you for providing that. I'm I'm happy you did that.
1: Yeah, well, it was... Yeah, Hobblet was really happy. Other people, um, I think we had someone else join us. Um, didn't eat the salad, but ate the tomatoes. Like there mm. were some extra cherry tomatoes, and like you know the really good ones, the yellow or the orange. I guess the orange oh, yeah. cherry tomatoes that are just like candy, um, God's candy. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it was it was it was a beautiful experience. So that and and uh, I brought some like rosemary bread. Oh um, my gosh! So, wow. Um, it was. I mean, and we we ate this, you know, as well. So it was just really, really good. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we'll we'll get more into this. Um, I'll, I'll ask my main question, and I I know that there's, you know, certainly things that you've planned to say, but also just I would ask that you you take this question and and try to see where you're at now and and what comes up. Um, so yeah, my main question is about how you relate to your body? Like how have your identities, how have your experiences affected the ways that you connect or do not connect with your body?
0: Well, that's been a journey, uh, to say the least, because over the last two years, both with the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. and through hiking, and what you put your body through, and what I was what i was becoming before the trail and one of the reasons why i wanted such a hard break from what i was becoming had to do with that relationship with with my body and even now with what i went through in the last year with my knee injury the surgery and the recovery that's also been another journey unto itself so we'll break down these segments as we as we go forward um for me, it's a few things. One, I've, I thought about this and yes, I did think about it because yeah. we said don't, but, and we want this to be a little extemporaneous and it definitely will be. I took it in three different ways, right? Yeah. My own internal dialogue with myself, right? Between what's going on in my head and the signals and commentary you get from your own body. You yeah. even brought this up earlier around doing, uh, the, the elimination yeah. diet yeah. and how your body communicates with you when you start returning things and now you have different signals going on, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize before Trail how my lifestyle, because again, I was working as a technologist in, a, in another company where because the hours I worked, the the culture of keep, keep adding more to your plate, it's good that you keep adding more things to your mm. plate from a, an engagement standpoint, wear all the hats you can at the job, how much that had made me ignore signals from my own Mm. body about what was going on. I've always been Mm. a pretty active person, but I also would cope with food. So I had a really interesting relationship with stress eating and sort of ignoring signals other than eat this to feel good Mm. and ignore everything else than weight gain and that whole perspective on, on being sedentary in technology and the pandemic and also having a global global reaching job, that was all very interesting from a body standpoint because you learn to ignore things pretty rapidly. And that's one of the things I learned on trail because what the trail does is it strips away all of your norms that you have for your day about the structure. And the only structure you have is to simply keep walking north and you kind of – your body then regulates to the season, the time of day that – you suddenly start getting different body signals. Your My mm-hmm. internal dialogue became so much clearer during my time on the trail. The way my body communicates with me, it tells me how it feels, what it wants, the signals I get of what like and dislike are, my connection yeah. to it. It went from a volume level of about a 3 or a 4 to an 11 constantly. And I think for that, and it's definitely dimmed a little bit because you're not on trail, you're not in the same sort of crisis that, that you're in because when you are hiking 20 miles a day, that's, that's honestly a, a physical crisis yes. if you're not doing it every day. But once your body gets used to it, the signals soften a little. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I learned on trail one of my grateful things for my time is that I didn't realize how much I had been muted, muting my internal communication mm, with myself
2: mm-hmm.
0: from just how I was living my life and coping with stress and what I was doing with my life at the time. Yeah. And so that's been one of the most powerful things out of trails. My internal dialogue is completely transformed in the best way because my internal mm. mechanisms that allow me to communicate with my body and how I feel things. Has transformed and it's stayed. It's muted a little bit, like I said, because I'm not in crisis so much anymore. But the communication is lockstep way more than it used to be. Yeah. So that's the first internal part of how I I take your question. The Mm -hmm. second part is how I think people perceive me, right? Mm. Because I am a a generally speaking masculine presenting male. And most people look at me not really as a threat so much because – I don't think I'm a very imposing person from a build standpoint, but I'm just taken as an average bloke, a dude, a guy. They yeah. just kind of see me as I am. And it's interesting, too, being a gay guy on top of that, that yeah. the one thing we do, especially in our community, is we do prize the way people, men, other men look and how we are looked at by other men.
1: There's a right. lot of thinking about
0: that. A lot of default and a lot of automatic judging, right? Because I've been on the apps and even though I'm now in a very happy monogamous relationship, it uh, we've all gone through app cycles, right? In our 20s and our 30s and what we think we should look like, mm. what looks good to us and how we're perceived by others. Mm. And that's been an interesting conversation too, because again, tying it back to my experience on the trail. I started the trail weighing 250 pounds. I was there was a lot of a lot of sonic to go around. <laughs> mm. And and I I recognized that, that I wasn't happy with that build. And it's not the reason why I did the trail, but I knew just putting myself through that crisis, my body was going to respond in one form or another, or it was going to break, right? Mm. That, that was the risk reward of what I was trying to go go and do. Mm. And my body thrived in it. And the response I got from my body and how I looked, cause the pictures of before, during, and after yeah. on trail. I and according to the trail community that I was a part of the trail bubble, that is the hikers you see frequently in the okay. as you as yeah. you head north on the trail. Everybody said I was almost unrecognizable from from my time on trail because I lost something like 60 plus pounds while on trail. And I don't recommend that to be clear as a yeah. weight loss goal or anything. It's just how my body responded. But all my health numbers before and after the trail, even though I was overweight prior to the trail, were all very healthy. They were obviously outstanding after the trail. It became one of those Mm. things where I realized my perception of myself and how I felt about it and how people perceived me. Mm. It was interesting having a different experience of it, right? Because I looked differently before I got on trail. And then even the people who I saw while on trail, I had friends come visit me on trail and Mm. the moment of, oh, that's you (laughs) Mm. because I also didn't didn't shave my face Uh, my hair was growing bushy and messy and obviously being on trail you don't shower anywhere near as much as you do like in normal society so I looked different and I was in just a very different chapter and it was so interesting Mm. seeing how people perceived me my most uh, specific examples I had a friend who lives here in the northwest with me who hadn't seen me since before the trail he visited me in New Hampshire and he was taking the bus from Boston to Hanover New Hampshire to come see me And he got off the bus, you know, stumbled out because it was an early morning flight and an early bus ride. And I saw him at like 7 o'clock in the morning. So I know Mm. he wasn't 100% awake, but he walked right past me. Even though I described what I was wearing, which was a gray shirt, a bright bright orange uh, buff, and my hiking backpack and poles. You kind of can't miss a thru-hiker. Yeah. He walked right past me, didn't even recognize me. I had to – I let him go for about seven seconds before I shouted his name. And then he turned around and – Just did a double, triple, quadruple, quintuple take that, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. So that was one of those moments that really stuck with me that made me realize about how people perceive you and how they remember you. And then also how the world just sort of takes you in based on your own build and how your own social norms build into that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's just making me think of this moment I had where I hadn't seen my partner's grandmother uh, in since since I came out as trans and, and and you know and you know she's a bit older and so like there, there's like I think some like you know maybe smaller sort of memory problems but I did find it incredibly gratifying when I was at this event and she didn't recognize who I was and you know I'm, I'm not on testosterone like I, I haven't had that. Huge of like a a physical change, but I had shorter hair. I was dressing masculinely, you know. I had a binder on. All these things, and it did make me happy. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's like yes, I'm. You know, she did not recognize me, and I I do find it interesting like that. Like you thinking about how you're perceived and liking that, and I, I also noted in there that you said obviously the health numbers were better afterwards. And to me, that's not an obviously, Mm. because to me, when I, you know, and I was only briefly on the trail, I didn't get the experience of sort of getting used to things and sort of getting into, um, a real groove, uh, a little bit, a little bit of a groove, but you know, I was only there for less than three days and my body afterwards, like my digestive system was fucked up. Oof,
0: I'm sorry.
1: Um, and it took a while to adjust to like afterwards just because you're eating weird food because you're eating like from these packages like these you know (laughs) dried packages all
0: that dried processed food mainly carbs and salt (laughs) yes
1: and and also you know you're you're using the woods as your toilet and that can be a stressful experience, especially for someone like me.
0: I remember us talking about this in the car extensively. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um,
1: it was a big fear of mine and, you know, it went okay. But like my, my body was very tense. And also you're losing weight pretty quickly. Like you, you specifically, cause you were on the trail for a while. So to me, I'm like, well, it could have not been good. They could have been very different.
2: Sure. But it
1: could have been not in a healthy way. But for you, like, this is, like, it was very positive and you liked people viewing this way and, and, and all of that. I sort of wonder what's it been like since you've been off the trail and how have you felt about the way that you uh, physically are, the way that you're perceived, etc. cetera.
0: There's a lot there. Mm. <laughs> and I say that because, as I alluded to earlier, um, in January of this year, I was skiing in California and I misjudged because of the excessive snow. Um, What I thought were moguls was actually an uh, an ice cover a snow covering covering a six-foot drop into a pile of rocks and so for somebody who had just walked 2,000 miles was feeling very healthy and fit and Felt pretty normal and I've been very fortunate at skiing for 10 years that Mm -hmm. I haven't had any injuries whatsoever falls Of course bruises and bumps, but nothing significant. I tore my ACL my MCL and meniscus in my right knee Um, On that fall and that is a substantial break and it's the first time i've ever injured any muscle Mm. or ligament in my in my lifetime And so I went from being constantly mobile for five months and even even when I was at my weight prior to doing the trail I still walked a lot. I live I, love, I value living in a very urban area where I can walk to nearly everything and yeah. get 10,000 steps in or more a day gleefully because the way I also process the world is by walking. And if I yeah. have an intense day, let me just go for a walk and process things. So with that injury, um, if you haven't heard of that sort of knee injury and in ACL or MCL tear, the ACL and MCL are what distribute weight from the top of your leg to your bottom as you're walking. Mm. So when those tear, it's sort of like a table leg suddenly giving out. Oof. And it's not painful. At least it wasn't painful for me. Well, for some it can be because that ligament doesn't have many nerves, but some people, the tear can be painful. Mm. Um, But it's the same sensation of if you ever have a table leg suddenly give out, you watch the table dip. Yeah. It's that sensation of falling without control. And you Mm. feel the misalignment in your leg. So to go from my body responding so positively from the trail, the weight mm. loss, the, the fitness, the muscle gain and loss, mm-hmm. and my body was just feeling, feeling amazing. And obviously coming back to a much more sedentary lifestyle, um, getting back a job back in technology, not moving 20 miles a day. I was at a healthy weight. And then all of a sudden, now everything came to a screeching halt in January mm-hmm. with a major knee injury because it ended ski season, which is a pretty active time for me. Yeah. And then I now had to sit still to let my body heal. And Mm. so learning how – and I never thought at – I'm 35 going on 36 soon. I never thought at 35 I'd have to relearn how to walk again. And that's what I literally had to do over the last eight months is teach my body and listen to my body about how to sit still, how Mm. to process things, how to find joy in sitting still and also learning – learning the perspective on limitations on on what your experience is because i suddenly realized that i had the enormous privilege of living i have long arms i have long legs they all operate great so reaching for a cup on a top shelf or putting mm. things away like in i have a tall pantry on the top shelf to grab it that's not possible anymore with a knee injury surgery and recovery so you suddenly mm. su- start realizing even curbs become problematic when you have to lift yourself over on crutches or you're mm-hmm. limping from from your knee injury. You suddenly realize how unfriendly the world is to people who don't have this. And to be clear, I have friends who are disabled and, you know, wheelchairs or mm-hmm. or have other limitations where they have to get around through alternative means. Yeah. And so I I empathized with them and and would be reasonable with with how, how to accommodate. You don't it, but when you truly experience yeah. it, it takes it to that next level of, "Oh, this world is not very friendly to people who aren't built a certain way.
1: Yeah. It, you know, this reminds me. So being on this elimination diet, I realized something, which is, you know, I have a number of friends who, you know, can't eat a number of things, can't eat gluten, dairy, eggs, or I have a friend who like, there's a lot of things that she can't eat. And I've sort of prided myself on learning how to cook things that they can eat. And it makes me very happy. And, and to sort of see them relax and, you know, it, but what I've learned is that when you're on the other side of that, I hate it. <laughs> um, I can imagine. That that the idea of going to someone's house becomes stressful and not wanting to be a burden. And, and also just not trusting people like there's too many things. I feel bad if... If you're like, oh, yeah, like I did all the things and then they forgot one and you're like, well, I'm sorry, I can't eat your food, Um, you know. And so I just didn't really do that. And I talked to a friend of mine, you know, who can't eat dairy or eggs and their partner can't have gluten. And I said, I think I understand how things work for you a little more. And she said, oh, yeah, that's why we work the best to like make sure that we're cooking things.
0: Mm. It's funny to your point there that how much we tie social engagement around food, right? We talked a little bit earlier about trail magic and how grateful you are for the food, the salad you brought up. And to your point about about people having those limitations, the planning problem, right? Of how do I ensure communication is clear if we're going to be going and doing things or just even if we're going to go do something, oh we, we go okay, so we're not gonna eat something, but we're gonna go out and if we're gonna go for a walk, we walk by a shop, I have a I would like to get a snack. That person still can be limited by yes. by what they can and can't eat, right? So yeah. I I totally understand where you're coming from with that and that's been one of those things that again when you truly experience it it shifts your perspective because not only do you empathize more you go oh i truly get it being in your shoes even for a small degree what this feels like and it makes you wonder why is it like this that it's so difficult because this person is alone right with that limitation or the challenge um, it, the good news is where with where we live, it's a little yes. easier. However, to your point, like this brings back to moments on trail, people who are vegan, gluten free, or ahead of the limitations, including our dear friend Hoblet, has had we had long conversations about how when we would go to a small trail town where there's only a gas station and a Hardee's yeah. or a fast food restaurant, exactly that. That's all that the only thing they could eat was essentially soda.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, this is a problem I would, you know, especially being on a on a elimination diet, there's a lot of things that you're not eating, right? Whereas most people just have a couple of things. But I would look at menus and I'd think, okay, I can have the fries maybe, although honestly a lot of fries tend to be fried in fryers that also have gluten in mm-hmm. them. Which mostly I was just like I don't care, um, yeah. <laughs> but or, or I yeah I can drink the drinks or mostly I, maybe I can't even do that because I'm not doing alcohol so like I it does give a different perspective even if it's temporary and and for you like understanding of like oh I've been able to empathize and care about people who have disabilities but it's suddenly different when I'm there
0: even temporarily
1: even temporarily i'm thinking you know what what a sort of roller coaster of you know um sort of you know weighing weighing more maybe not being at your best sort of health um, and then going on the trail feeling awesome um being like i can do all these things i look completely different i perhaps look more like what the apps want me to look like
0: (laughs) or how i want to be perceived which is that third third perception point of how do i it's something i didn't i took for granted in the sense of people just knew no i'm masculine generally masculine presenting but not threatening i'm not overly fit but at the same time i my clothes fit well enough but i i just sort of fit a general i feel like i fit into a normal cat a relatively normal category there Mm. but going from the transformation of being techie chubby dude to fit hiking machine back down to where I'm in a more normal space, even after the injury. It's just been interesting because Mm -hmm. of the level of communication in my body and where it's comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And as I've aged too, the body also tells you more about what it is comfortable with, right? I I hit more natural limits, for example, around how much food I can intake
2: Mm -hmm. or,
0: you know, if I eat this, the consequence of, you mentioned, because I do have a mild gluten intolerance that- I can have a beer, I can have a sandwich, I can't have both at the same time. (laughs) Mm. So I know what that limitation is because the bloating, the tiredness, what comes out the other end is very unpleasant. So it's more about learning what those uh, levels are. And then at the same time, like I said, when it comes to how you engage with people, it's so interesting coming back to society about how, because when you go on the trail, you truly are breaking from your social norms, your community, yeah. and you're building something new and wildly different because the trail yeah. is rather insulated to what it is. Um, and only so many people know about it. Like, even when we pass through some trail towns, like I mentioned, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, I looked like a homeless person on the street in Gatlinburg, Tennessee because it it's more of a tourist town mm. and it's for people who come, especially from more rural areas, come to the town to have yeah. fun, it's more of a party town. And so I stood out and people were asking me you know, like are you homeless are you okay
1: because mm. <laughs> i
0: was just in uh, h- hike yeah. what we call hiker trash clothes which is pretty much like sweatpants, a t-shirt, and I was in Crocs, which my Crocs were also mismatching. That's one of my little flares. Yeah, I love it. Is the mismatching, mismatching shoes. And so like, like I mentioned earlier, I got $20 from a random person on the street who thought I was literally homeless. So I'll take $20 and gladly go spend that on some wonderful pizza. But it was just an interesting moment mm. to see how other people perceive me and how I'm being perceived. Or like when you're in a trail scenario where... You're carrying the things with you, and that's all you have. You yeah. suddenly realize how much we rely on presentation and automatic judgment for what a person is or isn't. And that yeah. moment became very salient in that experience in Gatlinburg about people didn't have a frame of reference for what the Appalachian Trail was, even though it's an Appalachian Trail town and there's are signs right. everywhere about the AT. Gatlinburg has direct, direct roads up to the yeah. trail and... But these people had never heard of it. So when Hmm. you're talking about it, they had no idea. And they just thought you were homeless. And that was their only frame of reference for who you are. Is that where you're just some random homeless person walking around Gatlinburg?
1: I'm also just thinking the generosity of that person. $20. That's a, that's very generous. It was surprising. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Like, that's, you know, that's very kind. Um, So yeah, yeah, but I just find that really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, the the way we are perceived is a huge thing. I think about the way that I'm perceived far too much. And, you know, I I also know, as you were saying before, like, that's something in the gay male community, specifically, like, all sorts of communities have, it's important the way you're perceived. But um, I know that I interviewed someone else um, who, you know, grew up, uh, you know, conservative and so entered the the gay scene later in life and Mm -hmm. so he was very you know studying it of like oh this is really interesting you know about what was it uh 30 being like gay dead or something gay like death,
0: that? Gay death, gay social death. Yeah, because now and in the community, it still baffles me because like I said, I'm 35 going on 36 and being called daddy by by dates and things like that. I, hmm. I, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Hmm. I don't, I don't get that either. And it's something that usually if a partner of mine, because uh, I did a lot of dating this year before I I, I, I met, met my current boyfriend. And it was very yeah. interesting seeing guys who were and there is also sometimes a bit of an age gap mindset that some some people do actually yeah. search for older men and it's funny to say ten years and if you think about it, it can be an age gap it's also a generational mindset gap too mm-hmm. especially between millennials and you know gen Z for example about yeah. what some of the references we make and some of the some of the guys I dated definitely wanted a dad esque somebody. In that role of somebody who has a sense of poise, purpose and presentation about themselves that they mm. go and they know what they want, right? And yeah. for that confidence is something that is really interesting to me that I see a lot in the gay community that how you look. And how you present, that's an ele- element of confidence. It's also sort of like cheap trading trading cards that oh, if you're pretty and fit, then we know you meet this this level.
1: Mm. But then
0: does personality matter? does does mm. connection matter? Does the transaction of why we're meeting even matter, right? Because of that physical drive? because we mm. and this isn't unique to the gay community, but it's something yeah. I see. Two is that you know, sex is easy, but love is hard, right? Or are you willing to take the committed risk to start building that with somebody? Because are you are you replaceable because of the things that you value, just that look and what mm. what comes next and that excitement of that simple transaction?
1: Yeah. Well, just talking about relationships in a transactional sort of way, you know, um, I'm very open about the fact that I'm in sexual recovery. And one thing that I've heard people talk about is the problem of transactional relationships, and that doesn't just mean the obvious cases of um, of sex work, of like either oh, sure. you know being involved in sex work yourself or looking for sex workers, um, but just emotional, sexual, you know, sexually transactive mm-hmm. relationships, and and that is a common thing. I think there are some ways that it might be like really obvious in the gay male community but even with what you're saying about the age gap thing like we've known that that's been a common thing between uh in straight relationships for a while you Mm -hmm. know Um,
0: older men younger women
1: older men younger women sometimes the opposite but usually usually that's the way that it it goes and I don't know. It obviously like it makes me uncomfortable. Like when I hear about it, because I'm like, but I also know there is this thing that happens when you're like, oh, I want to be like this person, or and I've had this time of of deep confusion of, wait a minute, am I sexually attracted to this person, or do I just want to be like this person? Oh
0: yeah, totally.
1: And I I've had that especially with, I guess with men and women, but. A lot of times with men where I've recognized more and more of like, you know, because before I was uh, recognized that I was trans, especially of like, oh, wait a minute. I think that a lot of those times when I thought that I was attracted to someone, which there might have been some amount of that, I think actually, mostly I just wanted to be like that person.
0: And I identify with that as how I figured out my own gay process, how I Mm. figured out that I am attracted to to men is... I, I remember in second grade that I liked this kid in my class and I just felt different about, about him. Mm. And that was the one delineation I was trying to figure out. Do I like him like I'm supposed to like girls or mm. do I fancy him because I want to be like him? Mm. And I couldn't tell for some time about what the differences were then. But as you rapidly start maturing, you – at least for me, my experience was I went, Oh no, I not only fancy that I want to be like them, I want to be with them and be yeah. seen as no as a normal engage a normal romantic engagement with yeah. somebody of the same sex. And that was a really interesting mm. evolutionary period for me, uh, just as I grew and understood myself because there were, and this is the one thing I've learned too on the trail, is being that model, right? That mm. I am a fully realized person. I am normal as mm. a as a gay man, and that as I present myself either at the beginning of the trail, two hundred fifty pounds, chubby, techie, Sonic, versus the the trail, the hiking machine that I became mm. at the, in the middle end of it, and then as I transitioned off the trail, and even through the injury, the Sonic that that I am, that these things can all be true mm. the entire time, right? Because one of the things I learned on trail, and 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 I know that uh, Hobble can confirm this just through some of the stories and anecdotes we sh- we shared, is I became a bit of a trail celebrity, and mm. what that is is that your trail name, you become a known entity within your social trail bubble, hmm. just as a person to get to know, to talk to, or somebody who gets known for something. And I became known as somebody who you can hike with, who you can talk to. Right. And because one of the games I would play with anybody I hiked with is a game called 20 Questions. And <laughs> I'm sure you've, everybody's heard of a version of this. Or if they haven't, you've probably played it without realizing it. You start by just an A, B back and forth. You ask one question. I ask one question. And even it's a bit of a misnomer to call it 20 Questions, or at least the way I play it is because – I would usually start off with a basic question of if we're going to – if you're in your hometown or your favorite town, what is your favorite coffee shop or tea shop and what do you like to drink? And then just start building it from there. And so the questions rapidly go off into all sorts of sub-questions and conditionals or things come stream of consciousness and you suddenly realize you've been hiking for 15 miles and you didn't even realize that you made it that many miles with somebody. But you spend an intensive – eight to 10 hours with somebody just talking and people loved doing that with me. And yeah. uh, one of the things I would always share along the way is my boyfriend at the time, I would talk about what it was like to be not only out and gay on trail, mm. but then also dating somebody in a monogamous relationship who's off trail, who is away from me, who I only saw occasionally when I got off trail mm. for the journey and what challenges there were with that. Because many people did have significant others off trail who they were not hiking with. And we, we also identified with that. But men, most of them were overwhelmingly straight. And so having a gay gay guy on the trail who's so open about it and just made it seem so normal and casual, people became much more open and vulnerable. And people would
2: hmm. – especially
0: people understanding and struggling more of their queer identity that, yes, I might be in a, in a hetero, heterosexual relationship now, but that's what I'm supposed to do hmm. was a very interesting line I got a lot on trail from people as they were figuring themselves out.
1: Right, because – on this trail, like you're doing such a different experience and there is definitely a space of like figuring yourself out. And it's something that I did enjoy in my brief stint was thinking, you know, would I want to do this? Maybe not for the whole trail, but like a, a section, be a section hiker. Or a
0: lasher if you want to roll the dice a little bit.
1: <laughs> um, Long
0: ass section hiker. Oh, right. Just go until you want to stop.
1: Right. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't know physically how that would affect affect my system there are things that would be good about actually being able to communicate with my body a bit better um but i i I also worry that because it can be rough on your body as well like would i just ignore certain things oh sure but but anyway like uh the thing that's appealing is having this time for thinking a lot of time for thinking and talking to each like other people that you wouldn't have been talking to and you know, I've been doing a lot of you know, figuring stuff out. I think in the last um, over three years now, but it would be sort of different to do it not in your regular context, right?
0: Absolutely. So there, there's a couple of elements there I want to break down and why the trail was very powerful for that. One upfront, like you said, you strip away your social norms and constructs, right? Because I found myself, and I think everybody can identify with this from the time, um, especially during the pandemic, where we were suddenly restricted to our homes. And I'm sure everybody in their lives have projects they said they were going to do, but never did, right? So you may have half-baked projects all throughout your house, Yeah. Um, books you said you were going to read, things that you said you were going to do around your house, the furniture you were going to update, the clothes that you said one day you're going to wear, right? All these things that sort of plaque onto your your lifestyle and the, and the pandemic became one of those aha moments of, I have all these things, I said I was going to go do them, why am I not doing them? Mm. And with the trail, because you strip away everything literally down to the things you can carry on your back yeah. and then your schedule becomes beholden to the weather and sunrise and sunset... That And your only general direction is north or south or whatever direction you're going in to accomplish your your trail. Those three things suddenly become your stabilizers. And everything else in your life fades away. And so the powerful thing about that is when you're on trail and you now only have the rhythm of moving forward, you suddenly flow and your thoughts change too. And the cool thing about uh, people on the trail is – People share some of the most deep things because as you're mm. thinking and walking, your your mind is able to go different places and fire and make connections. Yeah. But you also, for me, I actually found it, the solitude wasn't as beneficial. To be clear, there were days where I was so grateful to be alone with <laughs> myself, my thoughts, and just kind of process things. There was a lot of ugly crying in Maine, I, I'll mm. tell you the truth, in a, in a, in a really good way because I was heading toward the end of the journey. The journey of the trail felt like a lifetime cycle. Like I lived a Mm. full 70, 80 years on trail where I was a whippersnapper Mm. in the beginning and then became senior and ending my days on trail. It definitely had that feeling. And so one of the things on trail with that though is because the people you're on the trail with and as you evolve with them on Mm. trail – you not only build a certain trust, but your stakeholdership in them is different, and that yeah. makes for such a difference that you may not be able to say or articulate things to people in your normal muggle world life <laughs> that you wouldn't get to say. And I do we do refer to it as the muggle world, by the way, because there's Trail trail right, universe in right. the muggle world, just like I have a muggle name, and then I have a trail name, Sonic Boom. And so – that's one of those things that you suddenly realize you can be incredibly vulnerable with, with pure strangers because they don't have the same stakeholdership in you that you would in a normal routine lifestyle where they, you have to endure them and you have, and they have to endure you in a different way because of that perspective. And I found that to be incredibly liberating about trail. Hmm. Lots to impact there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Would you mind actually saying that very last part again? I think I was lost in another thing.
0: Yeah, I, I could see you were you went off in a thought on a yes, thought tangent yeah. in a good way, right? In a good way. Cuz even this inter- this discussion it, podcast interview we're doing today, I feel like I'm hopping along on a yeah. trail in a, in a really good way, right? I just need my I just need my hiking sticks right now and yeah. I can really <laughs> be home. <laughs> but w- what I was saying earlier about sort of stakeholdership in your, in your society and your social network, yeah. right? Whether you have your partnered or you have close friends or you live with your family, whatever that breakdown is for you, when we're with each other every single day or we have a rhythm of life, yeah. right? There, There's this interesting give and take as we talk to each other. We see our, yeah. our norms, our flaws, and our foibles. On a trail, you hike your own hike. And that's a phrase we say all the mm-hmm. time. And it has many, 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 many different meanings, right? So if someone's having a bad day, oh, and they want to take a break, hike your own hike. If you want to stop talking to somebody, right. you can just say, all right, dude. All right, girl. All right, lady, chick, person. Hike your own hike. Yeah. And people understand intuitively what that means, and so yeah. with what I'm getting at with that sort of table stakes in your in your life is when somebody is only beholden to you because you're following each other along on a trail, you and you're doing you have a sense of camaraderie, but yeah. you you can be vulnerable with somebody in a different way on trail and have conversations because even though their input their perspective might be different or you share something with them, there's no the consequences are pretty minimal. Of mm. it, right whether you're figuring out something about yourself or you're trying to understand a trauma and you're processing it in front of a stranger there's yeah. something to the fact that there it's ephemeral that it's a temporary thing just for today or yeah. just for the trail that it won't have a direct impact to the rest of your muggle world yeah. life is what i'm getting yes.
1: at yes yeah yeah it's just this sort of very i remember when when being there you know even just briefly just the the sort of magical nature of it and of just the the quick way that that community is built which I think it was very cool but also you're talking about the idea of there's not a it sounds like there's not a possessiveness um, or at least there is an ability to let go um, like people do connect and, and do care about each other and will you know get someone to the hospital or whatever like there's a lot of things that happen on trail but also it sounds like there is um differentiation and a recognition oh you like if you need to like take time to yourself like that's something you can do and that's fine
0: absolutely and to that point about my own trail family the tra- our trail family we called ourselves the outdoor cats because we were all very in- inter- interdependent on each other and there were gaps where we didn't see each other for days or weeks but mm. when we saw each other it was like we had just never even disconnected from our time on trail because yeah i got off trail at certain times to see my boyfriend family and go do other things temporarily and so did everybody else and so that's actually a really powerful thing to, to your point is mm. we chose each other, right? And that's one of those things about yeah. trails and the trail family and the trail community you build. I chose to build a community, to build a trail family, to have yes. a WhatsApp group where we all still talk relatively regularly and build those connections. There were plenty of people on trail, though, who truly just wanted solitude. I think of someone um, – can I name them? Smokey the Bard?
1: I mean, I think that's fine. We, It's not like – we have like connections okay to, cool yes yeah. people uh he
0: had uh, he and i ended up uh finishing the trail together within a day of each other but his journey was he just wanted to be alone and mm. he didn't even stay at camps he would would would, would do what's called cowboy camping mm. which is where in a flat flat area near a campsite or yeah. near a water source you just camp and you camp solo he camped Probably ninety percent of the time solo. Yeah. He never camped anywhere near anybody. He did not build a trail family. He named himself Smokey the Bard. On uh, he came with a lute on trail. So <laughs> that was his his claim to fame was he he traveled with a lute. But he did it very differently than I did. He truly wanted to be alone the entire trail and chose that the entire time. Yeah. Other than at the yeah. end where he and I connected because we ended up going through Maine for about six days together and we just talked and talked and talked and talked and. and it was – yeah. you could tell that it was a different chapter where, where we sort of needed each other at the time because I, my trail family had already finished the trail. I was behind by a couple of days because I mentioned earlier I stayed in Hanover, New Hampshire for a couple of days to eat food because I lost so much weight and right. I was just in a bad spot. So I didn't finish the trail with them, but I finished with him, right? But we mm-hmm. all kind of knew each other in the same social circles from the time on trail. Yeah, but we chose that. That's the thing is that you choose that level of engagement on trail. And that's one of the things I've taken to off trail is you have to keep choosing that Mm. continuously, or if you don't choose to do it anymore, okay, what is that new paradigm for you? And how do you articulate that to your community?
1: Yeah. Uh, You just mentioned the fact that you you needed to to pause to eat food because you weren't doing well. Can you talk more about that learning to read your body and understand your body? Because it sounds like that's been this continuous thread, you know, certainly on the trail and now like off the trail and like with the injury and with like gluten intolerance and all that stuff. Yeah. Sure. Could you talk about that?
0: And in context too, since the trail, um, one of the things I did for myself as a part of reintegrating with society is I got in contact with a nutritionist who specializes in what's called intuitive eating, Mm. which is a framework to help you understand why you eat the certain things that you do, Mm. why you cope a certain way and figure out what your priorities are when it comes to food and and those decisions. Because when you're on trail, you can eat whatever the hell you want. It doesn't, at least for me, it didn't matter because my metabolism went from... You know, sedentary lifestyles, working working a computer job every day to hiking 20 plus miles a day in a pretty short order. And because I was burning so many calories, my my, my metabolism went up to I was eating five, six thousand calories a day and I was able and I was eating that every single day. Didn't matter. I lost weight. Um, and what happened in Hanover, New Hampshire in particular, is we had just gotten through as a trail family Vermont. And Vermont, what for us, was – and we call it on Trail Vermud because it is just a muddy morass of a state that you're hiking through. Um, it starts off nice because you parallel the Long Trail, which is uh, the, actually the first through hiking trail even before the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. It's, it just covers the entire state of Vermont from the Canadian border to Massachusetts. And so you start off, you know, well enough. Massachusetts was cool. Great. We got through it. Now we're in Vermont. And then it turns into a muddy morass. And then you're going through mud piles and swamps up five, 6,000 feet to the top of a mountain back yeah. down again. And it's very tough. The hard part about New England summers, especially in the interior, it's very humid. So okay. you are sweating everything out. I mean, there is no sauna right. that beats to Vermont's humid summers and how much you're just going to let it all out. And so I started feeling... Toward the end of it, that something wasn't right. That I'd be able to move forward, but I would get exhausted faster. I would get achy in certain ways. And the other scary thing is I I had bought pants that were four times smaller, four pant sizes smaller by this point for mm-hmm. hiking on the trail. They weren't fitting well anymore. And I went, that's not good. So which way? I'm sorry.
1: Meaning they they were too loose on you? Yeah,
0: too loose. As in I had continuously yeah. lost weight, that even now my extra small pants were not fitting anymore and it didn't matter what i was eating even though i was eating a lot of food both on and off trail yeah. drinking a lot of water nothing was functioning it didn't feel like it was functioning right just it's sort of like if you wake up in the morning you, i call it the pre-sick period you know when you know you're getting sick with either a cold the flu strep yeah. throat or something like that you know something is coming it's that sensation times 10 when you're going through such extreme physical exertion, right? Yeah. And so I I got off trail in Hanover, New Hampshire, and I stayed at a hostel near Hanover. Actually, it was on the Vermont side, but still ha- New Hampshire. And it, and all I did was sit there and eat food. I ate food every 30 minutes. It was like a Subway sandwich or a, a, a sub sandwich and a Coke every 30 minutes, just just Eating food just because my body was craving calories and not moving. And so, because when I got, when I, by that point, I was in the low 170s, 160s weight wise, and my body just did not feel right. Nothing worked, everything just felt out of Mm. whack. And so I'm glad I took the weekend to stuff myself silly in Hanover, New Hampshire, not only through sub sandwiches and Coca-Cola, but mm. just doing a grand food tour of the town because it's a college town. Yeah. And so they've got lots of restaurant options. And like I said, fortunately, my friend came to visit me and yeah. gave me the trail magic that I desperately needed by feeding me. He even still makes jokes to me today that when I sit in front of him and eat that he goes back to how fast I ate yeah. all the food in front of him because I was just vacuuming everything up because of how badly I just needed caloric intake.
1: Wow. And, and, and then you did not feel bad afterwards. Like no. it wasn't like you were overeating or no, like, no,
0: no, it was the, I, my body just needed the break. My body needed a three day period where I just sat and ate. And wow. that balanced a lot of things out. And I mean, the fortunate thing too about the trail, once you get into New Hampshire, what comes next is what some of the most difficult parts of the trail where you're not slapping out 20 mile days anymore. You're slapping out 10, 11 mile days, 12 mile days. That's the White Mountains of New Hampshire, which is a very gorgeous area, but it's mm. extremely rugged. And then Maine is just, there is no high mileage days in Maine. You're doing yeah. 10, 15 pretty miles. pretty chill. Yes. And you're, well, it's not chill because... It's difficult. Oh, sorry. It's low low mileage days. It's very rewarding, but you're not going very far very fast because of how rugged the terrain is. And that's all good because if you suddenly realize that it's not really about the mileage anymore, it's about the journey and enjoying it. Mm. And so the low mileage days also become the best days on trail. Because for me, the most memorable days on, times on trail were the Shenandoah, which is 110 miles in Virginia. Mm. And it's very easy going on the trail, but you're stopping every 10 miles because there is what's called a wayside. And a wayside is just a convenient shop that serves food um, yeah. every 10 miles on the trail. So you're stopping and eating every 10 miles. And it's fabulous and I was doing that mm. with my sister who had never done through hike before either and so she and I hiked the the Shenandoah for, for every 10 miles and we yeah. would stop because she would hit her wall pretty quickly you know not ramping up to the same level I was but it became so memorable because we were going so slow yeah which is also part of the reason why like the White Mountains of New Hampshire and Maine are so memorable to most people yeah. because you're low mileage tough days and you're just getting your butt kicked and you feel so good about it
1: yeah mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Shenandoah. So my family, when we would return to America every four years to ask people for money, it was uh, it was in Virginia. Oh, wow. And so I grew up with the the Shenandoah folk song and with, I think, also the Blue Ridge Mountain song. Yes. Um, So I grew up with both of those songs. And it's been interesting as an adult to recognize my connection to Appalachia, you know. And my my dad only grew up partially there, you know. Now a lot of his relatives are are there long term, but you know, I I've experienced some of that. And also, you know, unfortunately, the um I'm familiar with the the slurs against poor white uh, Appalachians. Mm-hmm. Um are very familiar to me um it was it was a term used uh, against my siblings and I for when we were messy oh wow and I didn't realize that until I was an adult of like Mm. oh
0: that's what that is (laughs) this is a a
1: class slur yeah that's being used Mm -hmm. um so yeah it wasn't until the last few years that I was like oh like this is a thing and like these are the people that that voted for uh, Trump and that are often made fun of and sort of hated, especially by people on the left. Um, And I, you know, I, Trump is a whole thing, but like, it's actually just been very interesting to sort of recognize some of that. And I remember the interview I did with, uh, with Daniel Mm -hmm. talks about like white Appalachia and like about Appalachia. Um, Anyway. So I just, I just found that interesting, but I really love the song shenandoah um mm-hmm. it's a beautiful song um so yeah it just brings me back back to that
2: let's
1: see <laughs> uh i I have a couple things i wanted to to sort of check in with one was i guess what was the experience like to be i guess sort of the, this I'm not sure if the word confident is right, but like a confident gay man who was interacting with these people who were trying to figure out their, yeah, what what was that journey like? Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the way you were raised, I feel like has some to do with that, like the way that you interacted with that growing up.
0: For sure, uh, a couple things to break down there, and I'm sure we'll go in a bunch of different directions yeah. in a good way on this. One, uh, the re- where my confidence came from. Came from just the sort of realization as I've aged that we only have so much time on this planet mm. to, to live, right? And one of the things that you I've learned as I've aged is that uh, you don't it, stop performing for people how they think you should act and act mm. how you want to be. Yeah. And even if that's messy and even if that is something you're still figuring out, uh, we're all learning to be be versions of ourselves and that's a gradual evolution over time. And that's something I learned actually during the pandemic and also again in my mm. previous work where Again, the culture at the job was take on all the hats you can because yeah. that's the healthy thing you should be doing. Right. And I think a lot of people are in jobs like this where there's that anxiety that if I'm not doing more than what I should be doing or if I'm not checking that email at 9 o'clock at night or if I'm not fidgeting with my phone
2: <laughs> and not
0: responsive enough because yeah. we all like to think of our jobs as important – However, I quick reality check, most of us are not in healthcare, most of us are not in the emergent services like ambulances or emergency rooms or the military or police or mm. fire services. Most of our jobs are not that important. And so that's one of those realizations I came to about my previous job is yes, you want to be productive, yes, you want to be part of that community, yes, you want to make the company mm. money, you want it to be successful. You also have to make time for yourself, right? And yeah. I promise I'm getting there on on the on the queer thing on on being competent as a gay man. Because when you find that you are other in a certain way, there there's always I, I found for myself that you want to accommodate other people's discomfort, with mm. who you are, with how you how people perceive you, because, The one thing we also deal now, and I have to blame technology for this, is we have so much information being firehosed at us all the time. Hmm. We default to our base assumptions because it's easier to do that or my trusted person over here has said X, Y, and Z about this. Therefore, that must be the case. And then I make a quick snap judgment because I don't know how to interpret things otherwise. And so what I have learned is by being that confident model, by actually putting myself out there vulnerably, and being that person that I am this and I'm okay and I'm living a normal thriving life. Yeah. that that now sends a different signal to people that they can go oh he's just like me or mm-hmm. I recognize that he is no different. Despite that preference about who he loves Mm. and that became one of those things. I was very sure I was going to walk into on trail because I also saw this with some people even in my own trail family um, Where they would have bad experiences in town because they they looked vulnerable and people would say things to them Mm. Or they weren't confident about the certain things that they were doing Oh, and so the one thing I learned about myself is that if I present that confidence it allows other people to strive to be confident too, Mm. or at least try it out for themselves, right? That you can be like this too. Mm -hmm. Even though confidence is a bit of a showmanship element and it's just kind of putting yourself out there, you have to start somewhere, right? And Mm. that became one of those things that I found essential for trail that also helped keep me on trail is the mental confidence. I am going to do this. I'm going to thrive and I'm going to be, and I'm going to do great. You have to have some internal mechanism that allows you to build with that. Mm. And that's where my confidence came from. But then also my vulnerability and my confidence that Mm. there's that duality actually exists intentionally because now talking about how I missed my boyfriend at the time, how, how tough it was to be in a relationship on trail how 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 do you feel fulfilled in a distance relationship how do you ensure Mm. your partner hears you or you hear them because one of those big challenges on trail was one cell phone reception you're in the boonies you're only going to have so much time on trail to talk to your partner and then the one thing both from like a sexual desire standpoint that even though you're now fit and fiddle from from the trail you're exhausted exhausted. And for me personally, although there were some people striving to do sexual relations on trail, I had no interest in it for a variety of reasons, including the fact that not only are you exhausted, your body is smelly and nasty, and you're not showering Mm. for a few days on end. So cleanliness is a big thing for me. There was just no interest in it other than me saying out loud that I am a gay man and I have a boyfriend off trail and we Mm. are trying to make this work remotely and dealing with those challenges of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm... Something I just found interesting in there, you were saying, you know, wanting people to sort of be like, oh, like, this guy's like me, like, it's not, this is okay. And I, I'm just thinking about the the sort of divide that, I think it's just sort of there in the queer community, and in the queer community and how it deals with, quote unquote, um, I don't know if mainstream, but like the the non-queer community. Um is those who – okay, this is kind of a big thing. So, Ober- Obergefell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Like, a, a big thing about the Supreme Court decision to be like, gay people can be married, woo, is that there was a lot of trouble from people being like, well, yeah, be- the reason we won that is because of mainstream – queer people or mainstream gay men let's say specifically of like they they look and act like uh, straight people and what about the people who are not like that yeah who are not conforming um and yeah because i i was sort of feeling some of that of like the the idea of needing to look mainstream needing to look quote unquote, normal, and how how you interact with that? Like, is that a space that you're comfortable in? That's where you want to be? Or like, do you have tension with that? Yeah. Where, where are you at with that?
0: That's a lot to unpack and could probably be its own episode yeah. in a good way. That said, um, as I've mentioned earlier, the one thing I've learned is, again, through the, the mechanism of confidence that, and again, realizing as I've aged that we all don't have as much time as we realize to look for and get other people's approval for how we want to present ourselves, right? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I live where I live is because there is a general cultural assumption out here in the Northwest that people are going to be strange and unusual and queer and that there is a general embracing of Mm -hmm. that. And that's just built into the zeitgeist or the culture of the Northwest. And one of the reasons why I deeply love living here is because there is a general assumption you are going to be a little different. Or... Don't be surprised if someone is different. Yeah. And there is that embracing because I'm very fortunate that I'm able to travel a lot and go to other other cities, including like New York, for example, which there's everything and everywhere in, yeah. in New York, but it's different, right? Whereas out here, people can experiment a little bit differently. They can present a di- bit differently. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I live out here is because I love being able to see someone walk down the street who you wouldn't normally see wearing a pink tutu rocking the (laughs) shit out of a pink tutu yeah and that's one of those things that i learned to your question and to your point is if i want to go do that just rock it and you would be surprised how that visibility and that presentation can suddenly make people uh, suddenly reorient or challenge their thinking in a Mm. very gentle way but also abruptly too yeah that that person's living their best life and is making the decisions for themselves. And that's how they want to present themselves. I live for that. It's one of the many reasons why I live out here.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I know that you, you have talked about like in, in queer spaces specifically enjoying some of that gender bending.
0: Yeah. enthralled by it. In fact, pushing those buttons as I like to say, because, I may not want to do that, but I certainly love when when other people are able to do it around me and Mm. be themselves. And it's casual, right? Or even if it's subversive, it's exciting that it can be a subversive thing, that here is a space that we're both occupying where I can present as a generally looking straight dude, but you can be over there in a pink tutu, and we're both just having a cocktail
1: Hmm.
0: and how wonderful that can be.
1: This reminds me of... On, I believe it was on the AT that you talked about a certain clothing experience. <laughs> Could you talk about that?
0: Sorry, quick pause. Which one is this one? Because there were several that I have, have jumped well, on that I shared with you.
1: Uh, why don't you tell me some of them and I'll, I'll see. But I'm I, I, now that there's more oh, than one.
0: I remember now, this was Trail Days. If, if you, was this the story about men wearing nightgowns yes yes there we go okay great thank you so one of my favorite things about trail oh there's two stories i actually want to build out of this one was in virginia in damascus the other one was in maine at a hostel when it came to how people present themselves so on trail obviously you don't have that much by way of clothes and Trail Days is a really big event on trail where it's a three or four day weekend in mm. Virginia where the entire town, which is a small town of about 1,500 to 2,000 people directly on trail, you walk right through yeah. it to continue on the ET. They pretty much shut down the trip to the town and it becomes a giant hippie fest for all the hikers who are hiking the trail. And so it's a mm. giant carnival festival event where just all the hikers are on trail gather in damascus virginia mm. for the celebration of the trail and trail yeah. life and one of the interesting things that i saw last year that was so much fun and deeply liberating was um you could camp in town so they had a bunch of campsites and yeah. there are a bunch of services provided both by the town and by churches and other organizations that want to support through hikers and one of those important things we're always doing on trail is laundry and so everybody mm-hmm. likes to be able to have clean clothes, both yeah. for on-trail and off-trail. And so there was a, an organization – I do believe this was a church. I could be wrong. I have to go back and look at the photo. But they provided – they would wash your clothes for you. But the only thing that they provided for you to wear were women's nightgowns. <laughs> and so the trail being overwhelmingly male – I mean, not overwhelmingly male. It's, more, it's, it's gotten much better, but maybe about 65, 35 male – male division between the Mm. male female divide on trail um but overwhelmingly it's men on trail and the men uh, who were getting their clothes washed by this organization were all gleefully wearing Mm. nightgowns and one of the most memorable moments on 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 trail from trail days is there's a parade of through hikers through town toward the end uh, Mm. at the 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 peak or climax of the of the event and seeing all these guys and one of the things they're doing is they're shooting you with water guns as you're walking <laughs> down the main street of Damascus. So seeing all these guys in hiker boots and night, and ladies nightgowns just proudly walking, getting sprayed with water guns and just hmm. living their best lives was just this incredible moment that I got to have on trail watching how people can break down their norms and embrace it and just have fun with it. And mm. that became one of the most memorable moments on trail was just mm. trail days, the parade and men getting their laundry done while wearing nightgowns.
1: It It's such a, as you said, gleeful, it's such a joyous description that you're giving. And it makes me so happy because, you know, as someone who's been, you know, as a trans man, someone who's been sort of entering the word world of like masculinity and And manhood, you know, I've really been recognizing some of the crises that are sort of happening within that world of like men being like, you know, what does it mean to be a man or some men being like, I desperately have to hold on to certain things in order to be a man and other men being like, well, I feel like, am I even is it even okay to be a man or like, should I be more like a woman or like, you know, all this stuff in
0: between, right, or something in
1: between, but Like something I've definitely recognized is that can be very restrictive. The world of being a man can be very, very restrictive of like what you are allowed and not allowed to do. Women also have this, but it's in a different way, right? Um, It's in a specific way and people may not think about men having restriction in their lives. And so to hear about men being like, this is awesome. I'm going to have like a lot of fun doing this and having that openness and like,
0: um aggressive joy
1: aggressive joy i love that term aggressive joy yes
0: to build on this and to go in a slightly different direction but also relate it to the constraints and expectations you've brought up about people the second story which I was actually surprised it happened so late in the journey. Because as I mentioned, when you get towards Maine, you're toward the end of the trail. You're in the end of your through hiking life for this journey.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I was at a hostel in Maine. And we, we, we all took a zero because it was raining and kind of miserable. So it, there were a lot of people um, in my trail bubble who were at this hostel as well. Again, overwhelmingly men at this time. Um, but the interesting thing was on trail, as we brought up the ladies' nightgowns in Damascus you saw more men as we would go through trail like painting Mm. their nails and that was a really fun thing to see that guys Mm. would just paint their nails on trail because painting nails is a feminine thing to do it's a thing women do to look presentable to men and other women Mm. that they are you know either of a certain status or they like their nails this way it was fascinating to be so late in the trail where you really stop giving a fuck after a while Mm. what you look like because you're just it's you're so beat up from the trail yeah. that you just continue, you know, moving forward that I remember being at this hostel with a bunch of guys and on the table in one of the common rooms was a tray of nail colors, nail polish, nail colors, Yeah, yeah. No, 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 nail, nail polish, nail polish. Okay. Thank you. Nail polish on the table. And I just sat down and started painting my nails because I hadn't done the entire trail and I wanted to paint my nails, but just kept forgetting to do it at other hostels because most hostels had nail polish at them, which was quite fun. But I just remember all these guys that I had been hiking with, they all knew I was gay and they, and the, and the, I don't know if they associated with me painting my nails with my queerness or not, but it was so interesting watching them slowly gather around mm. and be interested in it. And some of them sort of found it rather titillating that I was painting my nails all the different colors I was painting them. And then some of them wanted to do it. Mm. And then the ones who jumped in and who did it or the ones who said, fuck it, I want to do it, or the ones who shied away. It was so interesting mm. seeing that late in the, in the game that people were still figuring out how to go about painting your nails or that was an okay thing to do even on trail or if it's something they would approve of themselves or something they wanted to do. And I'm glad I did it because others started doing it as well. But it was interesting seeing that breakdown of the men who would or would not paint their nails.
1: Yeah. I, it's sort of what, what, what happens on trail stays on trail
0: very much so yes
1: um and of this being this space where you're not connected to your regular everyday life you're allowed to experiment with things and try things out i think that's you know really beautiful and i think that there is probably a big difference between The AT and the PCT, so the Mm -hmm. Appalachian Trail as opposed to the Pacific Crest Trail. Correct. Because when you were saying like overwhelmingly male, I was like, I'm not sure if that was true on the Pacific Crest Trail.
0: Yeah, it tends to be more diverse on the PCT, for sure.
1: And I think more of a feeling of queerness.
0: Yes. That might be just, again, the culture we've, we've talked about, about West Coast versus East Coast and traditional models, and this is how things are supposed to go versus the West Coast... Accepting or having a part of its cultural zeitgeist yeah. that you can be other and different, and you're going to meet people if you're not who are.
1: Yeah. And so just having this happen on the Appalachian Trail, it's a, it's sort of, it's childlike of like, oh, oh experimental
0: like-, like that. Absolutely. Sort of discovery and awe. There's this yeah. moment of, oh, I can. Should I? And then going forward. Yeah.
1: And, and this is something that I've also felt when talking to, a good uh, trans friend of mine, non-binary, but going in a sort of more masculine direction. And actually, yeah, someone I interviewed, my friend Cloud, and talking about going through this experience of, you know, growing up and at a certain point, just, you know, completely getting rid of like all feminine things and, you know, not wanting to do any of that. And, you know, then eventually sort of starting to transition and starting to take hormones and, at some point, being comfortable with themselves enough that they're like, you know what? I like bright colors. I like glitter. And I like painting my nails. And being at that place of confidence where they're like, I like these things and I don't really care how people perceive me. And I don't really care that people might think that this is not masculine. You know, because that, that can certainly come into queer spaces too and trans spaces too of like um with with both like trans women and trans men because like when you're initially going in you're like i need to like prove myself i need to look a certain way i need to act a certain way to be accepted in this role and just seeing the beauty when people start to and relax, um, and that's what I'm hearing here is this this oh, delight,
0: huge, true delight. And also, I go back to the element too that it's an, a slightly subversive too that oh, I'm doing something that is meant for other people and not me. Right, And so I think it's good that that's how people start because then they get in their mind that they don't have to conform necessarily to what – and this is one of those key things I learned on Trail. The expectations we set for other people in our lives, even if we don't realize we're doing it, we all kind of do that. Yeah, Um, What their role is to me, my aunt, my uncle, my brother, my sister, my friend – what And what that entails, and sometimes how limiting it can be to have all these things that are underpinned by it rather than just letting it be what it is, or communicating what your need is to that relationship with you, right? Mm. And that can be one that's one of those things I took out of the trail that just became so powerful because I built a community on trail. i ha- I have people in my life like Hoblet who, even though we've only known each other a year, I felt like I've known mm. them my entire life and i there are family members i'm not as close to as mm-hmm. i am to somebody like Hobblet. and the cool thing too about hobbit is they can disappear into the woods for months like they have very recently but as soon as we see each other again it's lot like we've missed a beat and that's a mm. really really cool thing and in fact i got to experience that because we did our one year anniversary of completing the trail um two weeks ago three weeks ago two weeks yeah three weeks ago we finished the trail with the trail family member who didn't finish last year. And we were all right back in it. It was half the trail family members that we all met on trail last year going and summiting together. Mm -hmm. And again, we haven't seen seen each other together in over Mm -hmm. a year, but it was like a college reunion, Mm -hmm. a family reunion, seeing your neighbors you grew up with uh, for the first time Mm -hmm. in years, but also like we have known each other the entire time and how cool that was. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There are very few experiences quite like that.
1: Yeah, sort of take that, you know, that topic of community and taking care of each other. So we were originally gonna do this interview like a month ago.
0: Yes. And Oh my gosh, what a month.
1: And we we had to reschedule it because a friend of yours injured his spine. Yes. Right? He fell down some stairs. He fell down some stairs. He injured his spine and you the two of you have this lovely relationship where you take care of each other when you have medical needs. Yes. Um, so yeah, could you talk about that?
0: Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier this year, I, I injured myself skiing and I needed to have knee surgery. Mm-hmm. And my friend, very fortunately, um, he's older than me, which is also a cool dynamic and he's gay. So it's mm. it's interesting having a non-romantic generational gay gay friendship. Where we've been able to build a very intimate non-romantic relationship with each other and rely on each other for things as we've gone through through life both together and separately and so because um, he has had health problems in the past that he knows how to run the medical system and understands how to engage doctors, mm. surgeons, the PT process. The So he's been through it all before. So he knew I was one of the first people who knew I, I was injured from from my ski trip to California. And he went, well, you're going to have to have surgery. Let's let's work on you staying here and me helping you and mm. build this out because he just knew to immediately reach out. Because one of the things being a transplant to the West Coast is I don't have any direct family out here my mm. closest family are all back on the east coast and yeah. so everything is five six hour flight away disrupting their lives to come here if, they, if i needed assistance or vice versa and so it, that becomes one of those constraints all transplants deal with after after a while yeah. is when will i jump on a plane to go help somebody and how significant of a problem is it that mm-hmm. i'm going to go do that because i'm disrupting my life or they are to, yes. to help in a scenario So I was very grateful that my friend stepped in and was like, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to handle it. And this is how – do you want someone like me to be there for you to help you through this journey of the pre-surgery, post-surgery recovery, getting you back home, and then starting the physical therapy process? And I jumped right on that. And it became just another way that our, our relationship as friends have built further because he just made it so easy and because he's been through before and he knows that as a community of transplants because he's originally from the chicago area that with no friends or family out here so much to lean on we have to lean on each other right yeah. we have to be vulnerable we have to step in to a certain degree not, and to be clear, it doesn't have to be something as big as taking care of someone during their surgery, it's just sometimes small things, whether that's you mm. know, an eye making contact with somebody at a bar, you know, where you're in a queer space, or yeah. recognizing somebody on the street that they are who they are and that they're happy about it, right? It's those little things that help build that community, mm. and to your point, though, around i've been able to return the favor i was not anticipating returning the grand favor that he gave me by taking care of me during my pre post and post during and after surgery scenario but i was able to help him because after his surgery i mean after his fall he was hospitalized for several weeks um he had his Mm. uh, he had to go through rehabilitation therapy and he also needed someone to take care of his dogs and step literally into his life because He had his own life and his own norms and his own things going on. And Mm -hmm. so I was grateful that one, I had the job flexibility. And then two, that I was, I just stepped right in to help him Mm -hmm. with the surgery process, being there in the room, feeding him food Mm -hmm. after he got out of surgery, Mm -hmm. taking him to and from appointments the physical therapy process of being in a rehabilitation center, taking care of his life that was suddenly disrupted mm. and stepping in and helping him because for me, quality over quantity when it comes to friendship engagements. And so I I lean into those things. You jump in mm. and build that community because if you don't, no one else will after a certain point. And that's mm. one of those things I also learned on trail is that even the small things can build to big things when it comes mm. to building a trusting relationship with somebody. Yeah. And like I said, I don't have a romantic connection to him. And we've joked about this all the time that we could never be married. We could never be any of that. Mm. We don't want that for each other. We just want to be friends. I mean, we want to mm. be that for each other because in that yeah. community, we're all, we're all begging for that as well. Mm. We all need something like that in this world. And it's so hard. But when you find yeah. someone, you hold on to them.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting <laughs> There's this is man named Wesley Hill who I disagree with quite strongly, but he is someone who's, um, I be- yeah, I believe he he would use this term, like uh, a gay man who has chosen to be celibate is in like a conservative sort of world and is- has written about that. And while I disagree with him strongly, something that he has really emphasized that I respect deeply is talking about the importance of friendships and that we should respect friendships more and we should sort of be more involved in our friendships you know in his case he's like well because like queer people you know if you are going to ask this of us if this is something that we should do um, you need to actually make sure that we have community like we need to have community Mm -hmm. and so while I, I may not like the a lot of the ideas around it I love the creativity and the the importance of community that he talks about um does that
0: lo- align with the phrase or or concept of chosen family as well because there there's i um, in I think in a healthy way in the queer community some conflation between friends and family yeah. that we choose and even though I have a very healthy relationship with my with my biological family I love my parents I also strive for an independent queer experience that's not that Yeah, And I have a chosen family, including my friend who took care of me and vice versa and the people I keep around me. So it's very, including straight friends who are allies of, Mm -hmm. of the queer community. And so that chosenness and that chosen family, I think is one of those quintessential things that I, as a gay man, strive for and want as a part of it. Or if people are, don't know how to look for it, trying to be that model of how this can work.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't think that this person would use that term. Sure. Um, I haven't. He actually wrote a book specifically, I think about this, and I haven't read it. But you know, he he's, he's speaking to a more conservative community. And so I, I kind of doubt that he would use the term chosen family, because I think that's much more in the more progressive in the more sort of queer space. Sure. Um, at least that's the way I feel about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, just talking about not not just for queer people, but for single people also who are also there's not much of a place for single people in a lot of churches. It's very focused on family mm-hmm. um, and
0: building the family they want you to build. Yes. right, not in a way that deviates in any way from what they think the framework ought to be.
1: right, which is actually like a pretty recent structure. and yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. Of
0: people don't realize that about the history of the church and those choices,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's a whole whole other thing that would be interesting. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, when I heard about you with this friend, I I just loved the idea of it. Um last Thanksgiving, I I I spent it with a friend of mine who they and their partner are not going to have kids, um sort of unable to have kids. And you know, they have like people who've lived with them, who might not live with them anymore, but like they've created this community and they were talking about the importance of, you know, when we grow older, we need to create a community because we're not going to have children to take care of us. And also just in the queer community in general, there is this whole problem of not having people to take care of you, um, either in the present day or as you age, because, you know, either because you're not having children and so you won't have younger people there that, that's sort of automatically thought of.
0: Expected, right? Expected. The expectations. Because yeah. I'm sure you experienced this in your own your own family structure, that there is this assumption or expectation, and you see this with Eastern cultures too, that the younger people, especially yeah. women or feminine presenting people, take the responsibility to take care of the older generation that mm-hmm. that preceded them. And I'll tell you now that that is not a promise and that it never works out like what people think it's going to. Yes. Because in my own family too, my grandmother on my on my mother's side had four kids. And one, my mother stepped up to the plate to take care of her as she has mm. uh, uh, come down with dementia. And even then, it didn't work out like everybody thought it was going to. Yeah. And that is a whole another very large topic about that expectation and succession and how we take care of each other. Yeah. Too. So that's a very interesting topic you're bringing up there.
1: Yeah, because it, it, this is actually a problem in straight communities as well. Huge. It's, yes. It's a pretty obvious problem in queer communities, but but yeah, hearing hearing them talk about this because they're they're also queer and um, and so I love when I do hear about people creating these sorts of communities, and it's interesting because I thought this was something that was like set up before. Right. You were injured, um, that this was a thing, but it just sort of happened organically.
0: It did happen organically. I mean, to be clear, with my friend, I have a very close relationship already. Yeah. He stepped up to the plate and went, okay, this is how I'd like to help you with it if you're looking for help. And I jumped right on it. And it's become a very healthy reciprocal relationship. That way between the two of us and it took our our friendship in a different direction too, yeah. right? Because suddenly now we can rely on each other for literal medical decisions mm-hmm. or being in the room for each other as we're being put under for surgery, right?
1: Yeah, and that
0: takes on a whole nother dimension, right? And this is your
1: advanced directive person, you know, pretty much. Yeah,
0: yeah From a legalistic standpoint and also connecting him with family members. So that way they knew I was going to be okay, right? Because Uh, Not that my family couldn't come out. It's just they didn't need to because I have this community Mm. in place here. And it's one of those things I didn't realize I was building towards. But when I could lean on it, I can. And that's been a very powerful thing that I've learned this year that I learned last year on the trail community wise. Right. It's just it's been this building effect. And that became so powerful for me to recognize about one of the lessons I learned from trail is that you can lean on people, but you have to build.
1: Yeah. 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 Hmm. I, I was curious, how does this work? I, I don't know when you um, started dating the person you're currently dating. Mm-hmm. How does that work with that person? Like, uh, w- yeah.
0: Well, it's still relatively new with the the guy I'm dating, yeah. dating now. However, he, his story is very interesting because he's an immigrant from an, from East Asia okay. and he's had to build his own community here too. Mm. And that's been one of those he funny enough 6 months before I injured myself, he also injured his knee with an ACL tear. Mm. So the parallel experience of how he navigated that with his friends and chosen family aligned very closely with my own experience as well so that became yeah. a building theme between the two of us is that we just sort of automatically do this for yeah. different reasons right him being an, an immigrant from another another part of the world where he has no ties but he decided he wanted to live here because he likes it here and yeah. that became a building theme between him and I as so we've just kind of been able to do that and introduce each other to each other's friends and we go oh we see mirroring effects here with how we build relationships with people and that's been yeah. a really cool game changer for for what my relationship is now versus who I was dating previously when I was on trail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I know when one of my friends got top surgery, I flew out to help out. Um, They, you know, they, they have a spouse, but their spouse was working Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'm not working right now. And so I was able to do that. And I really enjoyed being able to step in, in that way for my, my friend my queer friend um because yeah it's just this awkward time of there's just things that you can't do or you should not be doing and Mm -hmm. you're kind of out of it Mm -hmm. and um, I didn't end up doing all that much but it could have gotten like it really sort of depends on how you respond to drugs how do you respond to the surgery um you know I, I was prepared for if things became a little more dire
0: Absolutely. Although the important thing in what you're doing though is that you're supporting by being present, right? Yes. And that's one of those things that I also will share that I struggle with, right? Because I do take for granted when I do meet with people I have incredibly intense Quality of time. In yeah. fact, our relationship is a good model yes, of this. Yes. We may not see each other very often, but when we do, it is enthusiastically intense and yeah. we talk about lots of things and sort of charges us for a period of time. And But when we see each other again, it's sort of like we pick up the pieces yeah. and keep going from, from our, our last engagement. And I I guess I build that with a lot of people, but you also – I mean, I wouldn't call – I mean this nicely. I wouldn't call you tomorrow and be like, hey, I'm having surgery. Would you help me out, right? I would want to build with you a little bit more yeah. before I would lean on you like that. So you sort of grade people in different orbits for how you can yeah. do that. and You have to pick and choose a little bit, and you have to place gambles uh, to a certain degree, right? Can I do this with this person? And I'm glad you at yeah. least stepped up to the plate to go, I want to be here for you, even if I don't end up being all that uh, helpful in a medical directive or assistant yeah. standpoint my presence yeah as a part of your community and here to support you and your choices and let me tell you somebody who's received that a handful of times it makes all the difference even, yeah. it, even if you don't realize you just being there and wanting to be there and putting the journey in place makes all the difference as a friend
1: yeah well i mean i dropped them off i yeah. picked them up yeah. you know i was the number that the hospital called perfect you know i was there to make sure that they didn't stretch and when they tried to get things you know oh, putting yeah. things lower you know, mm-hmm. know so <laughs> a lot of things like that and I think also because I remember they were sort of apologetic of like you know sorry like I've been mostly asleep and, and I'm like we're fine you know because I have a relationship with this person where we love talking and we can have great conversations but also they don't need to entertain me and it's actually really nice because that means when I hang out with them in general, like, we just sort of chill and we don't, I'm not exhausted after a visit with this friend, because we can just sort of be around each other without necessarily hanging out in a very
0: engaging or having to be constantly connected and engaged with each other, you can just be present, right? Like you mentioned, one of my favorite things to do with friends is actually just be in a room together and read books.
1: I, so my, my, my dad had a nickname for me, which I've mixed feelings about now. But anyway, it was Golda, the from the Fiddler on the Roof.
0: Oh dang! Uh, <laughs> I can see why. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and you know,
1: some of it's like, well, it's you know, it is like my dad's nickname. It's the, he's the only one who calls me that. Yeah. But anyway, but um, so there was uh, he called he called it Golda's delight, and it was reading books while eating chocolate in the same like in the same room <laughs> yeah. with people. So.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Endearing yeah. to it's meant well for overwhelmingly yeah. right so yeah. that's what that's what's really tender about that
1: yeah and I, yeah yeah it's just Aww. positive memory I have um well yeah we we are running out of time
0: oh wow that went fast yes <laughs> like yeah. our car rides we're already at the stoplight near your house <laughs> yeah
1: um so yeah my last question is just is there is there anything else you want to say. Um, sort of a last note or something that you forgot about that you want to say now?
0: No, outside of, this didn't happen overnight, right? This was an evolutionary process that I, as we, as I talk about the conversation I have with my body, the challenges I, I go through, even though I'm still me, Sonic Boom, and who I am, It's, an, I think it's always a work in progress. I think that it's healthy to experiment, figure things out, because Mm. it's, I do reflect, because as I get closer to my 36th birthday, and again, 35 last year being a big, big year, my fives and zeros, I always go back and look at the person who I was Mm. 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I'm actually excited by where I was and where I am now, and where I'm going next, because I didn't, to be clear, see myself trans transposing from the east coast to the west coast going in a wildly different direction in my life I thought I was going to go into politics and law and go down that route at 25 I crashed pretty hard out of that realizing that that was profoundly dissatisfying on a bazillion different levels for myself so don't be afraid to experiment and you're going to find the ride that you're on journey wise Mm -hmm. is going to reveal so many things to you that if you just take that first step of trying something just try it Try try whatever that, that next step is because I didn't prepare fully to go do the AT outside of some weekend hikes or testing out gear in my friend's backyard or doing things like that. I just yeah. did it. And I think if more people just did that, just go do it. You'd be surprised how far you get in your journey and how far you'll come along with that dialogue about yourself and who you are. And you'll be so excited to see the person I knew at age 20 – is not the person I know at at 35 and how liberating that is to know that 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 growth has happened over the last 15 years and how great that is
2: yeah
1: Mm. well thank you so much for coming today and yeah, time flies when you're having fun and this has just been so enjoyable <laughs> no, and delightful Enjoy- colors, yes. Right. Yes. And- also you're wearing a yellow shirt which just is happy too. So <laughs>
0: I know we really got the memo on on the autumn colors yes. here, right? Yeah. And this is making this is this has been such a fabulous experience. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you. I love that. I love that. You probably can't see it, but right up there, there is a um, plant in in a pot that is a hedgehog. (laughs) Really? Yes. Yes. Look at
0: it. Oh, my goodness. That is fabulous.
1: (laughs) It's it's on the top of my, my bookshelf, and it's funny because the episode I just released... Uh, As of the time of this recording, my friend has a hedgehog um, Mm. and he joins us with hissing a couple of times. (laughs) And I just posted a picture of that hedgehog on my Instagram page. Um, So and I I love hedgehogs. Um, They're called uh, Yorik in Russian. Oh, cool. And it's like a big thing. Like I I identify with like hedgehogs. And like, (laughs) so anyway, I just love I love that.